who is wise and understanding among you. In pressing home this key question, James sets before us the wisdom that comes down from above and the wisdom that arises from the earth below. And he challenges you, he challenges me to consider which kind of wisdom is evident in our own life. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. I'm Steve Hiller. Glad you're with us as we continue our study of the book of James. Our series is called Doers of the Word, and today we're looking at wisdom, wisdom that comes from above. And Jonathan, uh, sometimes we may go about life hearing all sorts of information, all sorts of wisdom. Some of it's really obvious where it's coming from, some of it not so much. How do we discern where what might feel neutral is coming from above or below? Well, it's, it's no easy thing. And I think the wisdom that James speaks of as being earthly and unspiritual can often look very, very plausible. The kind of worldly wisdom that teaches us how to get ahead, how to get ahead of other people, sometimes by mistreating other people and, and, and shoving them out of our way. Sometimes that can be you know, made respectable in the world's eyes in terms of sort of business strategy and and that kind of thing. And James wants us to recognize that the wisdom that comes from above is of a totally different order. It is not about pursuing self. It's not about ambition. It's not about getting ahead. It's it's marked by a kind of gentleness and graciousness, a Christ-likeness, which is otherworldly. And I think the only way to be able to tell the difference, honestly, is to immerse ourselves in the Word of God and to see the distinction there. And and that's why James chapter 3 is such a help to us. And I think this, this section that we're going to be looking at together in today's message, I think, is a vitally important passage of Scripture. Well, grab your Bible and join us in James chapter 3. We're focusing on verses 13 to 18 as we begin this message, Wisdom from Above. Here is Jonathan. Who is wise and understanding among you? That's James's opening question in our passage today, and it's an intriguing question. It's a significant question. Who is wise and understanding among us here? Who here today would count themselves wise, would credit themselves with understanding the truth. On some level, I I guess we would all hope to claim some level of wisdom, some level of understanding. If we are Christian believers, we would like to think that we possess those things at least in some measure. For James, wisdom is a spiritual thing. It's something that we receive from God above, not something that we generate internally. If you remember back in chapter 1, one of the first things he called us to was to ask God for wisdom if we lack it. To ask him in faith, believing that he will indeed give us those things because he is ready to give generously in that way. Now, the main theme of chapter 3, if you were here with us last time we were in James, you'll remember that the theme has been that of speech, of the use of the tongue. You'll remember the emphasis that James placed upon those things. Now, James hasn't abandoned that theme entirely as we come toward the end of the chapter. He hasn't set aside that interest. You see, we do rightly associate wisdom with speech, with the tongue, There is a connection there. There is a vital connection. But James wants to insist and he wants to convince us that wisdom needs to go deeper than merely the 
concepts we can articulate or the advice that we can dish out to others. Wisdom isn't primarily even shown by what we say. Important though our words are. As we've been journeying together through this great letter, we've been seeing repeatedly how James insists that spiritual reality within the heart and within the mind will only be authenticated, will only be shown to be genuine if it is matched by outward behavior, if it is matched by works, if it results even in a changed life. Faith without works is dead. James has been very clear about that. Faith that is not matched by works and verified by works, authenticated by works, it's not faith at all. That insistence is at the very heart of James's message for us throughout his letter. And here in these few verses, James is really applying that same test to any claim that you and I might make to possessing wisdom from above. If any of us would claim to be wise, would claim to have that gift that only God can give, if we would claim to have divine insight, then here is what James says must be evident must be seen in our lives. Middle of verse 13. Anyone who claims to be wise, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. True wisdom, true understanding, they stand alongside true faith, and they will be then shown in works, in action, in character, in behavior. Now, this is, of course, a very fitting conclusion to a chapter focused on the theme of speech. It's a, actually a very shrewd conclusion. We've seen again and again how shrewd and insightful James is. You see, it might be possible for you or for me to have the right words to say in the context of Christian community. We might have some pretty good Bible knowledge. We might have some theological and some doctrinal insights. We might have some good advice to give to others. We might have some gifting to be able to communicate those things reasonably well. We might even have a measure of self-control to ensure that we moderate our speech so that we don't speak out of turn too often or lose our temper in the heat of a disagreement or an argument. And so we might think ourselves wise. We might be viewed as wise by other people, by those around us. But James cautions us. He says, be careful. Wisdom runs deeper than words, important though words are. Who is wise and understanding among you, asks James. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. See, James, he, he knows people, and he understands the heart. And in these verses, he is tackling a danger that is actually very, very real. The danger that some will count themselves wise because they got the right words to say and they know how to say them pretty well, pretty smoothly, but they don't actually have the fruit of life, the character, the godliness that matches true wisdom and gives evidence ultimately of true wisdom within. And it's sometimes the case, isn't it? I don't know if you've observed this. I think I have. It's sometimes the case that those with actually less wisdom and less maturity of character will be quicker to speak, quicker to share their insight, quicker to give their opinion, while those who are most wise and mature in wisdom will often say the least. Their words will be very selective, but their deep wisdom will be shown not simply by what they say, but by the fruit of character of life over time. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
in pressing home this key question, in focusing upon it, in forcing us, you and me, to apply it to our own lives and to consider it deeply, James sets before us the profile of two types of wisdom. The wisdom that comes down from above and the wisdom that arises from the earth below. And he challenges you, he challenges me to consider which kind of wisdom is evident in our own life. He begins with the world's wisdom, verse 14 again. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, it seems as though some within the fellowship that James is writing to, the fellowship he's addressing, it seems that some might have been actually pretty ready to kind of put their hands in the air when James asks who is wise and understanding among them. Maybe it was the same group within the crowd who were eager at the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 to become teachers in the fellowship. And you remember James needed to say to them graciously but firmly, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. They thought they were wise. They thought they were ready to teach, perhaps, ready to lead. But James has a fresh caution for them now. If your heart is not right, don't claim wisdom. Don't boast of wisdom. Don't deny the truth. In particular, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, be very, very careful not to claim that you've got wisdom that comes down from above. You may have a kind of quasi-wisdom, but friend, be warned. It's only the world's wisdom. Now, it's interesting to me that in the context of considering the reality of a person's wisdom, James calls each one of us to examine the heart. That's interesting, I think. Because you and I would naturally assume that in assessing a person's wisdom, we should give consideration to their mind. Isn't that right? It's a little bit like going to the doctor with a terrible headache, you know, a migraine that's been going on for many days. And you go to the doctor and uh, you find that the doctor insists on having a good look at your feet. And, and as a patient, you might well be a little perplexed, I think justifiably so. You know, what's all this about, uh, doctor? Um, it, it, is to do, it is to do with the head. That's my complaint today. Where did, you, where did you say that degree on your wall was issued from? Which university was that which gave you the MD? <laughs> you see, we think of wisdom as a head thing, as a function of the mind. And of course, it is tied to the mind. But James sends us, first of all, to the heart, to analyze the heart. Verse 14 again, but if you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called Wisdom from Above as we're taking a look at James chapter 3 today. Hope you'll stay with us. We're going to get back to this message in just a moment. You know, as a follower of Christ, we know that we are going to be engaged in a battle against sin. But it is hard to fight sin when you can't see what's happening. Hard to beat Satan when he's blindfolded you. And that's a common experience for the follower of Jesus, right? So we'd love to send you a book that can help you know your enemy. It's our thank you for your financial support this month. You can find out more, give your gift online by coming to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. Again, the website, EncounterTheTruth.org. All right, let's get back to the message. Once again, 
Here is Jonathan. Now, it's worth noting that the word translated jealousy here is actually just the Greek word for zeal. If you have bitter zeal in your heart is literally what James is saying. It's appropriate, of course, to translate it jealousy in this context because the bitter zeal here is a zeal for one's own interests, a zeal for self. It's, it's a zeal for pursuing the selfish ambition that James is going to refer to next. Now, we all know it's possible to be zealous for good things, zealous to pr pursue godly things, even the things of the kingdom. But this, this is a different kind of zeal. This is an ugly kind of zeal. Now, here again, we have James's deep insight into the human heart and into human society. He sees something here, something that was true in his day, something that is true in our day, to be worldly wise, to know how to get ahead in the world, to push your agenda, to advance your interests. Well, that is something that is prized in our world today. That is the kind of wisdom that our world knows. If you know how to kind of bend others to your will, to drive away the competition, to run circles around your opponents, to come out on top in the end, if you show that you are able to do that in a consistent way and to get what you want, you will be revered and respected even if you won't be particularly liked. <laughs> our society takes a pretty high view, actually, of the person who can do that. They're seen as being wise in a worldly way seen as being shrewd. It's quite significant that in verse 13, James calls for the would-be wise person to show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Meekness wasn't viewed as a virtue in James's day. It was viewed as a flaw and as a weakness in the Roman world. To be meek was to be incapable of driving your agenda, of securing your interests, of showing the strength you need to show to get ahead. You needed to be bold and assertive, not meek in the world of James's day. Just as in our day today, a good dose of self-concern, of self-focused ambition was seen as healthy, was seen as good. Meekness was weakness, a measured dose of bitter jealousy, a razor-sharp concern for number one, a good sprinkling of personal ambition. It would garner an odd respect. Now, while such instincts might need to be cloaked today in a kind of veneer of community-mindedness and mutual respect and tolerance and all that kind of thing, basically our culture still prizes the killer instinct at the end of the day. Now, James knows full well that that attitude of the world could well be found in the church. There could be those within the fellowship who have precisely that attitude and that outlook still driving them, precisely that attitude of heart, and yet are sticking their hands in the air, claiming to be wise, uh, putting themselves forward, even volunteering to teach and to lead. And so he says to us very, very plainly in challenging words, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, not the wisdom that God gives in His generosity and in His kindness. No, this wisdom is very, very different. It is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And we might say, well, James, hold, hold on a second here. Earthly, okay, all right, I'm willing to accept that it's earthly, unspiritual, well, maybe just a little bit, but you know what the world is like out there, James. I mean, honestly, let's be realistic. It's a jungle, survival of the fittest, all that kind of thing, but demonic? Come on, James, let's not overstate the case. Let's not be dramatic here, James. But James says, oh, no, no. You need to recognize the darkness of this ungodliness. You need to reckon with that. 
Just as ugly words, remember in verse 6, ugly words have their source in the place of darkness and the fire of hell, so too ugly wisdom is influenced and encouraged by the agents of evil, the agents of darkness. And James insists that we need to reckon with the catastrophic results of this kind of attitude of heart, results that no doubt delight the demons, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Again, by the guidance of the Spirit, James is just so insightful. He's right, isn't he? Verse 16, it is just so self-evidently true. Where jealousy, where selfish ambition are found in the heart, there will be disorder in society. People pursuing their own personal agendas will end up in conflict with others, will have to be aggressive, will have to stir up division. There will be disorder. And more than that, there will be every vile practice. It's not just that people become a little bit pushy, a little bit assertive if there's selfish ambition in the heart. No, 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 they're going to be aggressive. They're going to be mean in the end. They're going to have to be sly sometimes, a little bit deceitful, maybe a lot deceitful. They're going to have to be subversive. That's what has to happen if a zeal for your own interest has captured your heart and is guiding your actions, shaping your behavior. If that's what's in the heart, here is what we will see on the ground, chaos, ugliness, disorder, every vile practice. Isn't that an accurate summary and description of our world and our society today? We see it out there all around us. You see it in your workplace, I'm sure, in your business, in your school, at your university, in your local community. And sadly, too, we can see traces of it, can we not, from time to time, even within the fellowship of believers. That's the tragedy, and that is James's concern. As Christians, we would want to claim, wouldn't we, that we have something of heaven's wisdom about us, something of a God-given understanding. When James asks, who is wise and understanding among you, you would, we would love to think we could you know, raise a hand, even if cautiously, even if just part way. And so James presses us and James challenges us to consider whether we truly possess the wisdom that we might claim to have. And his, his challenge, it's not just on the level of intellectual knowledge or understanding or possession of Bible facts. No, he looks at the heart and he looks at the conduct. He looks at your works and he looks at my works and he asks, are they truly done in the meekness of wisdom? And isn't that challenging actually when we really consider it? Is there evidence of worldly wisdom in our lives, unspiritual, even demonic wisdom? Are there signs of jealousy, of selfish ambition within our hearts and our lives? Are there around us and in our wake signs of disorder or even the vile practices of ungodliness, signs that we're scrambling and scrapping to promote our own interests, whatever the cost, whatever the damage, whatever the compromise? Now, friends, as we pause and we think about that, as we must, because James is calling us to here in the Word of God, as we honestly consider this worldly wisdom that he's profiled for us and what an ugly thing it is, we may feel with some sober reflection, you may feel, I may feel, that we have been influenced by this wisdom of the world more than we would like to admit. It's taken root in our heart in some way. There is evidence of it in some way in our lives, in our dealings with other believers, maybe, even in recent days, our interactions with our peers, our business relationships, our interactions within the community. 
It may be that you consider these things and you see that it is actually, if you're quite honest, the only wisdom you've ever known. This is what you've grown up with. This is what you've learned and lived. And what the Lord is showing you, beginning to show you by his word, is actually that you haven't yet come to receive his wisdom, which is a gift. You haven't yet received that by faith. You haven't yet turned to the Lord Jesus to forgive you for living the world's way. And he hasn't yet delivered you from pursuing this unspiritual and darkened way of life and what a darkened way of life it is. And, and maybe that is what the Lord is beginning to show you even as we consider these words and these verses together today. And if so, if that's the case, your need today is quite simply to turn to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness and for life and for that new start. And if that's where you are and if that's what you're sensing, you need to know as well that you are able to turn to him and welcome to turn to him if he is prompting you to do so. He will give you the gift of wisdom from above. The door is open for all who will turn to him in repentance and faith. You can come to him. That's the invitation of the gospel. You can come to him in the quietness of your own heart. And you can confess before him all the darkness that you see there. And it's not comfortable to look within, is it? Because there's darkness there. The darkened and unspiritual and self-focused zeal for your own interests. And you can ask him to forgive you. And he'll do that on the basis of Jesus' death at Calvary, of his shed blood. You can invite him to enter your life by his spirit and to begin to reshape you, to begin to make you new. And he'll do that if you will but ask him. Others of us, many of us, who already know the Lord Jesus by faith, will read these words about the wisdom of the world and will look at that ugly profile of the world's wisdom and we will quite quickly see traces of it, elements of it, signs of its remnants in our thinking and in our living. And we see it here in the Word and we feel something of the rebuke. Maybe you feel it even now. We're stopped short. We, we, we sense a, a growing feeling of disquiet rising within. And if that's the case, the Lord calls you to repent. That's a simple call. He invites you to know once again the healing power of his forgiveness through the blood of Jesus. He calls you to learn once again the wisdom that comes from above. And then by the power of the Spirit to conduct yourself in accordance with his wisdom and not the world's. And it may be that your need today is simply to do that very thing, to do a spiritual accounting, a life accounting, a conduct accounting, and to bring before the Lord what is not right, to receive his grace and his help. Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth and part of a message called Wisdom from Above, which is part of our series called Doers of the Word. Taking a look at James chapter 3 today, and we're going to continue this message on our next broadcast. Hope you make it a point to tune in. If you ever miss a program, you can always listen online at EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, Encounter the Truth is a listener-supported ministry. It is your generosity that keeps this program on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book called Know Your Enemy. Uh, Jonathan, I know this book has to do with sin. And why would you pick a book that has to do with sin as something that uh, we'd like to pass along to listeners? 
Well, you know, the Bible wants us to understand, and the Bible teaches clearly the fact that those who belong to Christ are engaged in a spiritual battle. Whether we recognize that or not, Satan, the Lord's enemy, does seek to undermine our walk with Christ and our testimony for Christ, and to survive in that battle and to thrive in our walk with Christ, we need to understand the nature of the battle and, in particular, the identity and character of the enemy, Satan himself. And and this book is written to help us to do that, to give us an understanding of our enemy that we might fight the good fight and engage in the battle in a godly way. And I think that's going to be a tremendous help and a tremendous encouragement to those who read it. Well, we'd love to send you a copy of this book, Know Your Enemy by Graham Bynan, as you give a gift of any amount this month. You can find out more or give online when you come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-998-7884. That's 833-99-TRUTH or again, our website, EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for listening today, and I hope you'll join us next time.